0: Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now
1: everyone. I'm Brad Hairston with Blue Prism. Today on the Transform Now podcast, I am very excited to have as my guest, Tom Davenport, a world-renowned author and expert in areas such as AI, analytics, information and knowledge management, process management, and enterprise systems. I will be talking with Tom about a very important topic, why companies are struggling to implement AI at scale. Tom, thanks so much for joining me
2: today. Happy to be here, Brad. Thanks for having me. You bet. So just
1: a little bit more about Tom before we get into the discussion. Tom is the President's Distinguished Professor of Information Technology and Management at Babson College. He's also a visiting professor at the Oxford Said Business School. He's a fellow at the MIT Center for Digital Business and he's an independent senior advisor to Deloitte's analytics and AI practice. Tom is also an author and a co-author of 20 books and more than 250 articles. Tom's most recent book is titled The AI Advantage, How to Put the Artificial Intelligence Revolution to Work. And that's a great segue to this conversation. So Tom, let me dive in here and ask you with all the buzz about AI, especially in recent years, how would you gauge the pace of adoption thus far? And as an expert in this space, does that pace surprise you?
2: Well, you know, it's um, it's kind of a bifurcated picture. The pace of adoption of AI experiments, proofs of concept, pilots, prototypes, whatever you want to call them, is quite high the pace of adoption of production deployments is much lower and that i think is one of the key issues with ai but if you look just look at the number or percentage of organizations that are adopting ai it's pretty high somewhere between 40 to 50 percent of large organizations globally say they are doing things with ai it's across a number of different surveys, but but then if you ask them, are you do you have things in production? The, the numbers tend to be a lot a lot lower.
1: Mm. Okay, well, last year you and some other applied AI veterans started the ROAI Institute, which stands for Return on AI. What is what is the purpose of this group exactly, Tom?
2: Well, I think it's to shed light on the issue that I was just mentioning. How do we, If we don't get production deployments, then we don't get any economic value from AI. The goal is to um, identify the ways that companies um, can get um, economic value. How can they um, change the mix of projects that they're doing? How can they pick the right parts of the business to work with to get more value Uh, a bit about tools as well how do they pick the the ai technologies that will provide the most value for them so overall it's to try to add more value to make this a successful revolution in a sense i Revolution is in the subtitle of my book. It should probably be evolution because the, certainly the value is evolutionary. But I do think over time it will it will be revolutionary.
1: What has the market response been like to ROAI? Have you had several companies come to you guys for support and help in this area?
2: It's been moderate, I would say. I mean, you know, there was the pandemic, which had a lot to do with everything, but there are, you know, like a lot of these sort of um, research centers, we're looking for support from companies for the research, and there's been some of that, maybe not as much as in some areas. For me, it's a good occasion to do research that I'd probably like to do anyway, so that hasn't slowed me down any. Got it. So everywhere you look, companies are definitely, as you said,
1: piloting or experimenting with AI, but the the large-scale implementations are are far and few between. What are the primary reasons that companies have had difficulty implementing AI at scale, in, in your opinion? And also, even more importantly, what's keeping them from achieving the big returns that they've been seeking?
2: Well, Brad, if you, th- if you think about the difference between a pilot or proof of concept and a production deployment, in a pilot, you typically don't have to worry about integrating the system with your, the rest of your IT infrastructure. You know, you're just trying to see, does the algorithm work and could it potentially be of value? You don't have to change the business process. You don't have to upskill the people involved it's it's all very closed conditions that you're seeing would this thing theoretically be of any use to the organization Mm -hmm. and so that means pilots are a lot less work and cost a lot less money some people have said a production deployment can be a hundred times as expensive as a pilot or proof of concept and um So sadly, a lot of these pilots never go anywhere. Some organizations have described them as zombie pilots where there um, was Mm -hmm. not really a plan from the beginning to turn something into a production deployment. So one of the things that I argue is you ought to have a sort of a pipeline or a funnel that the idea would be, unless there's some reason to disqualify that pilot from being go, moving on to the next stage, getting more resources and starting to build it out, see how it might scale, et cetera, then, then that would be what would happen, whereas a lot of the pilots just sit there in kind of this limbo. Nobody knows exactly what's supposed to happen with them, and so ultimately not much does.
1: Right, right. Do you think that most of the pilots that we're talking about are really on the on the radar with the the C suite. I'm just curious about the sponsorship angle and how much of an impact that has in these things
2: really taking life. Well, that's a good point. I think um, if you have any intention of these pilots going into production, then obviously that's going to have to be something that involves the business, and so you might want to talk to them about that from the beginning. So. I don't know. I was talking recently to a, a chief data and analytics officer, a uh, um, friend of mine, Eli Lilly, Vipin Gopal is his name. And he um, he said when he got the job, one of the first things that he did was go to three, uh, he went around and talked to a number of executives. And then he identified three projects that could be you know, very important for Lilly. And so he went around and talked to the executives who own those areas of the business and said, what do you think? Is this something that you could get behind? And could you put resources behind it? And and so on. And they said, yes. And so he embarked upon those three. And I think that's far better than saying, oh, we tried this out. It worked pretty well. Would you be interested um, in taking it forward? I think it's better to engage from the beginning if you can. There could be some circumstances where if if you think it's not likely to succeed, you wouldn't want to necessarily engage with the business first but and part of the problem is also that the i I do these surveys with deloitte and we every year we ask where in the business are you applying ai Mm -hmm. and somewhat sadly i think the number one area is the it function which was fine it needs um improvement like any other part of the business but Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily going to be that terribly strategic. And I think it's partly because IT people say, well, we control this and we can do whatever we want there. We don't have to get anybody's permission to, to try something new out.
1: Mm, yeah, makes sense. What about the topic of bias in AI, which which comes up a lot? Do you think this is something that also may be hindering AI's progress and adoption?
2: Well, I try to take a sort of a balanced view of that. One of the things that I've been interested in for a while and have taught for a number of years is decision-making. And Mm -hmm. turns out humans are pretty biased, too. (laughs) We have, if you, uh, one of my favorite um, things to do is to look in Wikipedia at the... um, I think the title is Decision Bias, or maybe it's Cognitive Bias anyway. Count the number of different types of bias available there. And I think the last time I counted there was something like 171 different types of bias that we humans bring to the table in our decision-making. <laughs> so it's not as if you know, we're so pristine <laughs> in our decision-making that, that AI is going to really make things a lot worse. And you know, people talk about it as algorithmic bias. I think in most cases it's data bias, and in a lot of cases that was the data were gathered because of human biases. But I, I don't, I don't think it's really holding a lot of organizations back yet. It seems like most of the examples um, that have hit the press anyway have been more research oriented applications and Mm -hmm. it's great that that the research identified that there's a bias against people of color in um some of the deep learning-based image recognition algorithms. So then we won't put them, those into production. One one would hope, anyway. Mm. But I don't. I haven't heard of too many organizations saying, "Well, we had this algorithm. It worked really well, but we didn't put it into production just because it was biased." And I think in most cases, AI is relatively. I don't want to say pedestrian, but sort of I've been a big fan of boring AI because it's what AI does really well. It's really good at picking out pieces of data out of things like PDFs or faxes or some relatively structured form and picking out what or reading a contract to figure out what are the key terms. Mm-hmm. All of that's pretty boring stuff, but it can make a big difference difference. And it doesn't typically involve a lot of bias to do that sort of work.
1: Mm. Okay. What are your thoughts about giving AI capabilities to digital workers and using RPA as a sort of a gateway to AI? Do Do you think robotic process automation has been helpful to some degree in introducing AI to some companies?
2: No, Brad, I think it's been the most harmful thing that we could imagine. It's been really horrible. No, um, uh, All right, no. this podcast is over. Let's shut it down right here. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a big supporter um, of RPA, and I have... Um, I mean, some people don't include it in the collection of AI technologies, but I did from the beginning, and in some of my earliest work on what people were actually doing with AI. I remember talking, I think it was a partner in the government area at Deloitte, and I was asking him about what his his clients were doing. And he said, a lot of them were using RPA. And that's the first time I heard the phrase that RPA was a gateway drug for (laughs) other forms of AI, which I don't know, maybe makes it sound a little nefarious. But I do think more and more companies are combining RPA with machine learning to get more sophisticated database decision-making when rules can't quite measure up. And I I see a lot of AI applications that, whether it's RPA or not, they use some kind of workflow capability to sort of move the work along. So I'm a big believer, and that's one of the areas typically where companies can get relatively high ROI because it's relatively inexpensive compared to some other mm. forms of the technology and relatively easy to accomplish and doesn't take a huge you know, consulting project or something like that. You don't have yeah. to be a data scientist to, to develop RPA. So a lot of benefits, I think, to using it as part of a mix, not the only Mm -hmm. thing in your portfolio, but certainly a very valuable tool.
1: Yeah, good. Well, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, even at the risk of sounding like a pretty (laughs) self-serving question. (laughs) We agree with everything you said. And from our perspective, I mean, we have a lot of customers, but we think uh, too small of a number of customers are really combining their digital workforce with AI but we like you think it's the, the pathway to even more ROI because you can a- address processes with so much more complexity when you when you start adding these additional skills to the mix so
2: yeah i mean right. i'm i'm still by the way am um, something of a, of a of an advocate of rules even outside of RPA for relatively simple decision-making. And it's been surprising to me in my research how many companies I've come across. I think one survey said 50% of companies still had some rule engine stuff going on. And they may not even be been counting the, the rule capabilities in RPA. But it does top out at a certain number of rules and things start getting a little fragile and mm-hmm. changing all of your rules if something changes in the, changes in the business environment can be complex. So I, I think the, the rule world is kind of slowly moving toward machine learning for these more, you know, really complex applications.
1: Mm-hmm. Tom, BCG recently co published a report on the future of jobs and they projected that over the next decade, there was going to be a significant shortfall, like in the millions in computer and mathematics jobs that are necessary for AI. Do you you see the same skill shortage on the horizon?
2: Well, there was an even earlier, much earlier prediction by McKinsey when they wrote about big data and they argued Mm -hmm. that there would be a really huge shortfall in the numbers of people who could do work with Big data, data science types, and so on. But I, I, I'm not quite as negative about as either of those predictions are for a number of reasons. One, I would say, you know, my chosen profession primarily is university education, and universities have been pretty quick to try to meet the need. I mean, I don't know how many data science and analytics and automation-oriented programs there are in the world now. But a few years ago, I did a little bit of research with the association that accredits business schools around the world, Mm -hmm. and they counted up the number that they knew about. These were only in business schools, and there were over 200 in the U.S. alone. And I see every day, since they sponsor a lot of ads. I see other ones that I'd never heard of. And so there are a lot of those programs. uh, I I never really thought that you needed a PhD to do data science work. In many cases, Mm -hmm. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. And um, so that's one thing. And I think the tools are getting easier all the time for non-professional analysts to use. The sort of citizen data science movement, I think, is pretty far along, even for machine learning. We have all these automated machine learning programs now. And so I, I think that more and more people will be able to to do substantial work, but that um, doesn't mean more of more the companies that I work with are saying, we decided we needed more of these skills. And so we lined up some resources from you know, one of these online providers and kind of created a nano degree program in data science or whatever that our people mm-hmm. are doing with thousands of of users or thousands of, of study or students, I guess. Mm-hmm. So if we have enough sort of motivated people to learn it, we'll we'll get there. I mean the question is, a lot of people don't like mathematical stuff and don't like technical stuff and so on. But I think we'll, we'll have a lot. So there's a lot
1: of buzz lately also about this whole area of quantum computing. And on my brain, at least, I've been wondering, how is this going to impact things like AI? Can you give us your thoughts on that? I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective.
2: Well, I'm not really an expert on it. I was hoping you would tell me about quantum RPA (laughs) and how that that was going to work. But it seems mostly a speed of computation issue. And Mm -hmm. I I would say, for the most part, we don't need it now. And it's a little hard to anticipate. It's like we didn't really know how much GPUs would influence these graphics Mm -hmm. processing units would influence... AI because we weren't really doing a lot of deep learning large scale deep learning models before GPUs came along and so once we had them we we saw oh man there's this whole new class of of algorithms that we can work on that would otherwise be far too computationally intensive so i i suspect that will be true about quantum computing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we know what those algorithms are yet or what exactly we would be doing with yep. them. The new capabilities in the new al- algorithmic capabilities tend to come along at about the same time that the the computational ability comes along mm-hmm. and the computational ability for quantum isn't quite there yet. I am excited, though, because Google established a quantum computing lab in what is my... Um, partial hometown now, Santa Barbara. So I'm Mm -hmm. anxious to take a tour at at some point when they really (laughs) get it going. I don't know how much there is to look at, of course, but... Right, right. I
1: I spend a lot of time with the top advisory firms. They all have an expert or two or three on this area. So I know it's important to them. I know they're talking about it. Honestly, I, I don't know what the intersection is with this whole... Intelligent automation and AI space, but I hope to learn more in the coming years for sure. So,
2: yeah, well, I think it will certainly make it possible. Really, the thing that drove a lot of the deep learning revolution was these very large labeled databases, like ImageNet and so on. Mm-hmm. And if we can figure out a way to label them in the in the future, or some new unsupervised learning applications, I think. Quantum would be great at dealing with, you know, very, very large volumes of data. But, um, you know, who knows exactly what applications will be requiring that.
1: Right, right. Tom, where do you see AI making the biggest impact in the short term, say the next two to five years?
2: Well, as I say, there's been a lot of boring AI stuff out there, pulling interesting pieces out of data doing what was really an extension of predictive analytics with machine learning, new algorithms for machine learning that are t- tend to be more complex but more yeah. accurate, I would say. Some people argue it's not a huge advance because we've been doing and talking about predictive analytics for a long time. And it, in its simplest form, predictive analytics and machine learning are really the same thing. But I think we we have some of these new algorithm types like reinforcement learning and adversarial networks and so on that I think thus far have been mostly used in research and even game-related um, research that we need to figure out how to apply those to, to business and we haven't really yet. I think Language will get better, language-related applications will get better and better. They have to reach a really high threshold for us to find it worth the trouble to use them. And we're pretty much, I think, at that threshold in terms of natural language understanding and mm-hmm. text, of uh, speech-to-text, kind of accurate speech-to-text conversion. So I do think that this conversational AI will... It's just starting to catch on now in a serious mm-hmm. way, and I think we'll see a lot more of it. unfortunately, you know a lot of companies invest in these really small low low end chat bots, and that doesn't um help anybody much. but at the high end, you can get some pretty impressive capabilities now mm. I
1: think the people at Blue Prism that run our partnerships agree with you on this as we've added several conversational AI partners just in the last year so. What about what about in the long term if you look further out 5 10 15 years where do you see AI going
2: Well um if we can if we can get the data I think there are all sorts of things that could be done with AI lack of data tends to be the primary issue in a lot of cases so for example in this whole area of precision medicine we we've made a few strides um in that regard where we we have a few drugs that we have have to know a little bit about someone's genetic makeup to know whether they're likely to be effective or not. And that's certainly better than giving the drug to everybody and having 20 or 30% have a positive outcome. Um, Now, if we know you have the right genes, then we're up to 60 or 70%. But we just haven't had a lot of data for that yet. And so we're not really doing a lot of machine learning yet. It's mostly just rules, believe it or not. And so if if we can gather more data on that and areas like radiology and so on, areas like pathology, where there is a lot of data around, but not in any kind of concentrated, labeled form, then I think we could really start to have a big impact on healthcare, which it was a big mistake for IBM to say with Watson, oh, the mm, thing we're going to yeah. do after Jeopardy is healthcare because it's just too hard, <laughs> and I think it made a lot of people think, oh, there's not that not that much to Watson. There was, but they just stubbed their toe on a really really hard problem. Yeah. I think that will be quite big, I think, smart cities. We've talked about them for a while, but Mm -hmm. we have to get all the sensors in place and that's an expensive proposition. There's some places like Singapore, some parts of China that are investing a lot in getting a sensor network in and could have a lot to do with traffic-related issues. Maybe in 10 years, we'll have uh, fully autonomous vehicles. I I don't know. I've been quite conservative about it, and I'm glad I've been conservative because I've been right so far. Mm -hmm. Um, But we we now have it pretty well worked out in kind of geo-fenced areas that have good weather all the time. And Mm -hmm. we may never get to a car that can drive itself in any circumstances half of the the world lives in places that never snow so maybe you could just use them there or something or shut them down whenever it snows probably most humans should probably shut down their cars when it snows anyway because they're not terribly good drivers in it
1: right right so tom going back to the the topic we started with the fact that so many companies are doing pilots and and such, but they just can't seem to move these forward into production scale, large implementations. What would be some advice you would offer to companies that are stuck in that
2: mode? Well, one is to pick the right part of the business to work on. So it was writing a little article recently with a woman who's in charge of of data and analytics and AI at Bank of Montreal. And she, I was a little bit surprised that they were, the communications people in her company were willing to let her say this, but she said, we tended to go where there was a lot of data. So the digital business in a bank, of course, has a massive amount of of data on consumer, customer behaviors, and so on. Mm -hmm. And um, payments, of course, always a lot of data related there. We, We know what people are buying and we can analyze it if we want to, assuming that our customers say it's okay. But she said we avoided heavily regulated areas because regulators are a little slow to credit risk, for example. Right. regulators don't want to approve things that they you know, don't fully understand the model. So it's kind of a non-starter to do really sophisticated deep learning models in that part of the business. And she said, we also avoided the commercial bank where they tend to think that we don't have very many customers, so not a lot of data there. And they like the personal touch, whether that's the way it should be or not, I don't know. But she said, you know, we went where it made a lot of sense. She said in her um center of excellence, they include RPA in the mix because RPA is a good way to show some short-term value. And so why wouldn't you want to include it, particularly if you're going to mix it up some with with intelligent RPA? I think having that that idea of a pipeline that I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. is important. Some people have suggested creating partnerships with the finance organization or the CFO to try to authenticate some of the the benefits that you get from AI. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it's a little unfair because we haven't done that with a lot of other technologies. But Mm -hmm. I think if you could do it, it would probably um, ensure a longer term future for AI in your company. And then some have suggested not even really talking all that much about what the underlying technology is. Don't capitalize too much on the hype involved in AI. Mm -hmm. Just um, talk about talk about it as in terms of what it does and the line between ai as i was saying and and predictive analytics and um, automation technologies and so on is pretty hard to define anyway so i think our whole profession has kind of benefited from the hype of ai but it also you risk i think getting people disenchanted
1: Mm. so tom you teach students at babson and at oxford and it's such an incredible time to be leaving college and entering a world that's you know, changing. It seems like every 15 minutes, there's there's so much emerging technology. What would you say, or what do you say to your students just about this whole realm of AI as they're preparing to enter the workforce? What are your words of wisdom to them? That's a question I think we could end on today. I'd love to hear your perspective
2: on that. Sure. Well, I say a lot because that's pretty much all I teach these days is a course <laughs> on AI and business. But on the whole, what does it mean for students? I think the the good news is that jobs are not going away, Near at least, certainly not at nearly the rate some people predicted that they would. It's much more a case of augmentation than it is automation. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Smart machines, smart people working alongside each other. If you're if you're not if you're a person and you're not smart, you may you may have some problems in that mm-hmm. labor force, but hopefully I don't teach too many of those. I think you need to figure out how do I add value to what a smart machine does. So that might be mm-hmm. understanding it enough to at least check its outcome to make sure that it's what you want, or maybe you can do something that it's not doing, incapable of doing, because, I don't know, it involves something that humans do better than AI. Maybe if you're um, really good, and this is one of the things I like about rules, is you can look at how it's making decisions and actually make it better, mm-hmm. fix the rule, and when you see a problem with it, it's not true with some other forms of AI, but it is true of rules and RPA and so on. And kind of generally be following what's happening in the world of technology and being a little bit of a sort of heat seeking missile in that regard to make sure you're not left behind, you're learning new skills and so on. So it's not, I think, easy to stay on top of all this stuff, but as you suggested earlier, it is exciting. And I think that the people who are willing to act as colleagues with these machines, smart machines will do really well. The ones that don't, I think are going to fall behind. And that's a problem for our society. But I hope probably the ones that enroll in my courses are the ones that are willing to try at least.
1: Mm-hmm. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate your insights and your thoughts and be well. My
2: pleasure. You too, Brad. Nice talking to you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.